Does your bank, credit union, or fintech offer financial coaching? Well, if you don't, there's a tremendous opportunity for you to maximize future growth in the age of AI when you commit to truly put the transformation of people above the commoditized transaction of dollars and cents. Let's find out exactly how you can do this through financial coaching on today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Cynthia Campbell to the show. Cynthia is the Chief Experience Officer at Balance, a nonprofit organization providing financial education and counseling to people throughout the country with their partnerships, their partnerships with credit unions, banks, employee assistance programs, and other nonprofits. With over 20 years of experience in the financial industry, Cynthia is passionate about creating innovative and impactful solutions that empower people to achieve their financial goals. And today, Cynthia and I are going to dive deep into potential growth opportunities rooted within financial coaching as we guide you along your own journey of growth at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. It is good to share time with you today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I followed your show and your writing for years, and now I'm on the show. You are, and you you have so much to share today. Uh, and before we get too deep into the opportunities, potential growth opportunities that can be found within, we'll call it just quote unquote, financial coaching as the next level up that I see going beyond what so many have done up to this point around financial education. It's fantastic. That's progress. Where can we go from here? Before we get too deep into that, I always like to start off on a positive note. What is good in your world right now, personally or professionally? It's your pick to get started. Well, I'm kind of going to mix them both, personally and professionally, because I didn't think this would mix them, but it did. Lately, the last seven weeks, I've been in an improv class, and I never thought improv would have anything to do with business. But boy, after seven weeks, my eyes have been opened, (laughs) and there's so many business lessons in improv. Well, you're going through this experience here personally, but you're applying those lessons professionally What are some of the insights that you have gained that the dear listener might be able to tune into, even just I maybe create a, a bit of self-awareness here? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just to set the stage a little bit, I mean, I'm sure most folks know what improv is, right? Whose line is it anyway? Yes. Really, you know, uh, collaborative comedy that is off the cuff and unscripted. And so there's a lot of quick thinking on your feet, making decisions one after another. And if you make a mistake, you can't be like, oh, darn, I made you. Nope, you keep going, right? You keep failing forward. And so I kept seeing all of these business lessons about teamwork and collaboration, um, things like 
for counseling, active listening. If I'm going to be good at improv, I better be listening to what my partner scenes are doing right. and watching them because I need to play off of that. So the lessons just kept coming and coming. <laughs> As you're as you're sharing that, I can't help but think, you know, we're over 300 episodes into this podcast as a recording, and it's it's all improv. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I come in with a little bit of prep work of where some research of of where I think we could guide the conversation, but I'm open. I'm open to the experience. I'm open to the. Uh, the mental fencing of the back and forth, the exchange of, of ideas and thoughts. And it requires, I think, flexibility, but it also requires adaptability. Mm-hmm. And when you think about flexibility and adaptability from the lens of improv and then applying this back into growth and financial brands, banks, credit unions, fintechs, where do you see challenges that limit people's adaptability or flexibility in the real world? Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you for me, the biggest thing for me with improv, when my partner Troy said, hey, let's take an improv class and immediately I froze inside, it wasn't because I'm afraid to be on stage. I've been on stages my whole career. What it was is afraid I was afraid of showing myself, being vulnerable, being silly, looking stupid. Oh no, oh my gosh. And I think that is uh, really transferable into business, right? If we're so caught up in ego and what we look like or what, what if, what if, what if, instead of just being transparent with our teammates and partners and and coming to the table and, and being vulnerable and and saying our fears and working through things together to me that's what improv's all about and sometimes you know business can feel more like stand up yeah. somebody who's up there doing their own thing making making all the decisions you know that that's not improv improv's the opposite we have to trust our partner we have to leave openings we have to listen we have to have that emotional and intelligence to feel where they're going next and I think that sometimes we don't bring our authentic self to work and that's a big problem why why is that I've I've personally and I'm just gonna get really real you know if we were having this conversation you know pre-2012 and I've known you probably even before that even um so you've you've seen some of my own personal transformation Pre-2012, I had a had a ton of ego. Um, and I think it was maybe just youthful pride, youthful arrogance. And it required, and I talked about this on episode 167 and 176 with my wife, it required almost a downfall, personally and professionally, hit kind of hitting rock bottom, to rethink almost everything. And then going through and you mentioned counseling earlier financial counseling i know is is what you're doing over at balance but there you know we can look at at counseling and i've I've talked about fta financial therapy association on the podcast before um, and, and have had megan mccoy and so you know having been in therapy counseling working on myself has allowed me to bring more of myself to others in ways that i never thought would have been possible what prevents us from that vulnerability? Because if we are going to inject financial coaching, counseling, therapy, whatever you want to call it, as an offering within a financial brand, bank, credit union, fintech, 
we probably need to develop this skill mm. a little bit. Oh, goodness, for sure. Gosh, there's so much to unpack there. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, because money has so many emotions around it, namely shame mm. and embarrassment, right? One of the biggest things Googled is how much money should I have in my retirement account at 53, <laughs> right? Because we want to know, are we doing better than the next guy, right? And so we have all this shame and, and emotions around money, so we don't tend to talk about it, right, for sure. And so counseling requires that active listening, you know, to pull that out, to pull at the strings and to talk about the why, you know, if there's a deficit in your budget every month, then usually there's some reason behind it that's not just about spending, it's about something else and about bringing in our authentic selves to work or to counseling. I think sometimes, generally speaking, we hide ourselves. We feel unworthy to show our real selves. Maybe people won't like us if we show our real self. And and I know that you talked about youthful pride and ego. And now, you know, I'm in my mid fifties here and I can tell you some of that does go away with age. And I can say that, you know, I know what I know most is what I don't know. And and that's what gives me this learner spirit of wanting to to take improv and figure this out and see why am I afraid? Oh, I'm afraid cuz my ego doesn't want to look silly. Okay, yes. let's let's get rid of that um because that's going to hold me back in other areas too. I want to pause on something that you just shared and I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but it's a very it's it's Socratic wisdom. It is I know I know nothing. Yes. I think that coupled with a growth mindset is so critical for continued Mm -hmm. transformation. And so much of the conversation and narrative over the past maybe five to seven years at a macro level has been around quote unquote digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the challenge that I find is not at an organizational level, it's not at a technology level, it's at it's at an individual level, it's at the self, because there's a lack of clarity, there's a lack of understanding, there's a lack of perspective, there's a lack of of knowledge, but for the organizations, and particularly the individuals who have a growth mindset, they have been able to continuously transform their perspective of the world around them, and I think that has allowed them to navigate some of that, and compared to say maybe their peer groups but when mm-hmm. when it comes back to what's well, something that you just touched on the taboo of mm-hmm. money um mm-hmm. i just uh, published on youtube a clip from a keynote um that i did at the cu leadership conference last summer and i opened up that keynote i said and and i and i and i kind of preface i said okay i'm gonna take you back i think it was like 1992 two ish 93 I don't remember the exact year but I was in third grade and uh the song came out on the radio and it it started off let's talk about sex baby (laughs) and 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 that opened up some really kind of complicated conversations with my parents at the time (laughs) but I bring that up because it's easier I mean the research shows it's easier for couples to talk about sex than it is to talk about money Mm mm-hmm 40, 45%, and, and I can't recall the exact number, of couples go into a relationship and then maybe even marriage, and they never have a financial conversation. Or the sex conversation, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but you look at that and the shame, and then yeah. we work in a vertical that is all about 
money, maybe there's some imposter syndrome going on here as well mm -hmm. that let's have a conversation mm -hmm. about this and mm -hmm. just kind of get comfortable mm -hmm. being uncomfortable, if you will, right? I think that it has started because I think for a long time we were under the assumption that if somebody works for the credit union, certainly their financial knowledge is a little higher. Yeah. Well, we've done plenty of studies now. We know that to be absolutely false, right? Right. <laughs> and so they're no more financially savvy than the average Joe or Jane, right? So. Yeah. So we have started there. I have seen this emerge, right? Start with your employees first. We see amazing credit unions like Suncoast have a savings challenge for their employees only to start at home to the Cornerstone Foundation offering credit counseling to all credit union employees in the entire region right. uh, at no cost. You know, we're starting there because I think for a while maybe we had blinders on and we, we were in denial a little bit about that sort of thing. But you know, doctors smoke too. That's, I know, shocking. Yes. Uh, but, but bankers are not always, you know, the best with their own money. And so I think starting at home is great. And I'm glad we're starting there. But it's time, like, we have to pick up the pace and, and we have to get out there. The people need us. Inflation is there. Student loans are looming. Mm. Uh, wages are stagnant. There's so many troubles that are all a big, a big ball altogether. And people need us more than ever. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. That's so true. And I think about what SunTrust did a couple of, maybe 2016, when they launched their On Up program. Uh, it was a big Super Bowl ad, and then that drove into a website, and it kind of became a movement. Uh, it was something that we followed and tracked for many years. And one of the things that we found in the research, they spent about six months investing in their employees' financial well-being before they even brought this program public. And mm -hmm. as a result of the six month investment, the average emergency savings fund for employees increased to about $1,500. Mm. And that was a big win. And you know, you take care of your people, you, you have a positive employee experience and that's gonna then translate into a positive customer or member experience mm -hmm. if you're in a credit union. Mm -hmm. Exponentially, even at yeah. Sun Coast in Florida, they saw that one of the first employees that had gone through the program had had such an awakening of what it feels like to be empowered financially that he couldn't stop talking. Right. He couldn't stop. And so they actually gave him a job that was financial empowerment. And because he was so just, you know, he was on fire and his passion ignited other people. And it was this beautiful, organic happening. And it's not a standalone. That's not in a vacuum. That's what happens when people get empowered financially. They want to help others because they feel free for maybe one of the first times.
I want to, oh gosh, that, that point, they feel free for one of the first times. I think about a session that I just recently facilitated for a cohort in the Digital Growth University. They just worked through class three and it was all about consumer personas, but really the, the bulk of the curriculum in class three about personas is the idea of financial stress and how that takes a toll on people's physical, mental, emotional, relational mm. well-being and the awareness that that brought. But in the cohort discussion, I and I asked with permission, I said, do you mind if we just have a very uncomfortable conversation around money, like just mm -hmm. your situation? And let's just talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, where you've been, where you're at, where you would like to be. And we did this in a private setting. We broke up into groups. There was just one-on-one. -on -one. And everyone broke into one-on-one. And, and, and I even preface that by sharing my own story and my own narrative of being literally almost half a million dollars in debt back in 2012, 2013. And it was that sharing that it kind of sparked something. And then I went to a group and with, with someone else who was a very high level executive, they shared some things. It's like, wow, beautifully stated some pain, some sh shame for sure. But then when everyone came back into the large group, my question was, how did that feel? Mm. What did they say? Freeing. Do you use it your is. words? It was freeing for them. And then I said, well, why? And they said, because we're not alone. And I think how many times do we walk around thinking that we're the only ones that suck? We're the only ones that are struggling. We're the only ones that are in pain and we're not. And when we, when we can transform that pain into power or empowerment, back to your point of the individual at, at Sun, Suncoast, that's where people get energized. That's where people get on fire. That's where the real transformation begins. Once again, it starts within, then the team, and then the organization. And as a result, that spills over into the lives of account holders. Sharing the burden, being over all of the financial counseling, watching what happens on most financial counseling calls. I'm generalizing and simplifying, but generally it starts off the person, the member of the credit union is very upset about something financially. We work together to figure out what is their biggest financial concern at the moment. And that's where we start the focus at their need. They lead the session, right? So we're, we're hitting their biggest financial worry, why they called. We're talking through them with it with them and just hearing them, listening to them, making sure they're heard, making sure they're seen, yes. offering empathy, actively listening, then saying, okay, here's where you are. Where do you wanna go to your point? Okay, now let's make a path to get there. And effectively by the end of the call, literally nothing has changed yet, except they've shared their burden and they have a plan. And that can change things for people in an amazing way. We train our counselors in suicide prevention for reasons, because we talk to suicidal people. People become suicidal over debt. We don't have to have debt as a death sentence. There's no reason for that. There's ways out, but people have shame. So we have to normalize the conversation around money shame. We just went through a global pandemic. You're not the only one suffering financially. I promise you, right? Pick up the phone. Let's talk it through. It's not worth your mental health. 
Uh, we have stigmas in America though. So people have to get over those and the shame. We can help them get over it by talking about it a lot yes. in the mainstream. One of the other interesting conversations I've had on this podcast, I believe it was with Emmanuel Daniel, um, is redefining wealth. What, what, what is wealth? And I think, you know, historically we look at it as dollars and cents in the bank, if you will, but we can look at wealth through an abundance of different lenses. Um, you have physical wealth, you have mental wealth, you have relational wealth, you have experiential wealth. And I think when we start like transforming that perspective and money becomes a vehicle to experience experience all of these different fruits of of life i think that's another kind of stigma once again back to your point about googling you know how much should i have saved by you know x number of years does it really matter if if we're not even happy with having x amount in the bank right does that because happiness is not tied to a number in the Mm -hmm. bank i think you know i know people who have literally hundreds of millions of dollars um and they're the most miserable people and people that mm-hmm. make, you know, 30, 35, $40,000 a year. And they're happy. Mm-hmm. They're genuinely right. just happy. Mm-hmm. And I think there's that whole idea of, of, of mental perspective too. So I want to roll things back because you talked about financial counseling a couple of times and a lot of the narrative has been on the subject, financial education, financial literacy. That's great, but that's only knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. like, like in, 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 in some cases, I've, I've read some research to where financial education could be doing more harm than good because it's giving people a, a, a pseudo sense of security or like half of what they need to know. It's, it's one of the reasons, back to your point about healthcare and doctors, uh, we, you know, we go to Google, we go to Dr. Google, we Google, Google our symptoms, but then hopefully eventually you know, we'll go see a real physician to then get a diagnosis. But that, that's not always the case when it comes to money, investments, you know, loans, et cetera. What's the difference between financial education and financial counseling or coaching? I would say what's the difference between education and capability, right? Like for me, those are where it lies. Like I know how many calories are in a Whopper with cheese and bacon, right? I know that, but big deal if I know it and I eat it anyway, right? Capability is being able to have the knowledge and use the knowledge to make other choices, right? To be capable to eat healthy, big, big big difference. I could read about swimming, but until you throw my booty in a pool, we don't know if I can swim. And so for us at Balance, financial coaching is about ensuring capability. So when we're doing things with clients, we have action steps and outcomes. We, we're measuring things. They get a plan after our counseling session that says, this is what we talked about. These are your action steps. Our next appointment is here. We're going to hold accountability here. And then they go and they do these. We come back, we check in. And, and each step is about building capability. Some of them go from no bank account to a bank account. Wow. Some go from no credit score to a credit score. Some go from icky credit scores to great credit Credit scores. Some go from homelessness to being homed. Yeah. Like these are real outcomes that are measured and prodded and plugged along the way with each each uh, commitment and each appointment. Um, these are not things that are ever going to happen on an app. 
and I know you're the digital guy, so <laughs> I don't mean that with any disrespect. I love apps. My phone is full of apps, right? But when I needed marriage counseling when I was married, I didn't go to an app to you know, Google how to have a great marriage and use an app. I needed an expert to talk to, to guide me through what I was going through in that situation because it's a real life situation and some things are beyond an app. Now, does education happen through an app? Yes, sir, of course it does. Does increasing financial capability? I think you need some help along the way with that one. Can I tell you, you and I agree 100% on that front. Yay. And, and, and I am, you know, I do, I think a lot about digital, but I think about digital from the context of the human experience. And how can we use these tools, these technologies to augment the human experience or to, or to bring people closer together? Because there will be times when an app is not enough. Like, let's come back to your example of action. So you give people an action plan, but then there's the accountability piece. There's the follow through piece. I, I think about a personal experience that I'm going through right now working on cleaning up my macros. Like I'm, you know, trying to dial a few things in and I always set these big ambitious goals. And you know what, just for sake, you know, once again, we're gonna get really vulnerable here. I wanna get down to like eight to 12% body fat. I want my abs to show for no other reason <laughs> than for me and that I can do it post 40. Like that's my, just, that's it. And And I knew that I could not do this alone because I've been trying for a while and mm -hmm. I was not making any more progress. I had enough knowledge to be dangerous uh. um, and I knew that it wasn't the fitness or the workout anymore, it mm. was the diet. Uh -huh. And I needed to dial in the diet and the more importantly, the macros, the fats, the carbs, the protein. Proteins. Mm-hmm. I was under eating protein by a hundred grams a day. Wow. Yes. And had no, <laughs> had really, cause I, I had no awareness of it. So what happens? Start working with a dietitian. I start working with a coach who has that knowledge and expertise that she augments the human experience with her own app. But guess where the accountability and the check-ins come come from with her with her you're probably gonna have questions and what you know how to do it and what it, to eat you're getting bored of this food can what about exactly this food? exactly so it's a it's a blended approach mm -hmm. that she's able to track some of my progress to where I can log all of my food daily and that has now become a new habit Right, because you're measuring what matters, just like in counseling, we measure what matters. That's right. And then you get to outcomes eventually when you measure what matters. I mean, there's so many, you know, it's so similar, yes. And I applaud you for your efforts on that front. I hope you, you see your abs and post them proudly. <laughs> well, we're, we're making progress for sure. We're not there yet, but uh, I don't even know about posts because once again, it's more of just a personal, it's a personal goal that I'm working towards. And I think a lot of it too is, you know, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease uh, a little over a decade ago. And so I'm using this as a way to say, hey, this disease, this condition does not define who I am. I'm able to redefine what it means to live with 
this disease and it's just a whole it's more of a mindset and a mental thing and food is medicine too it, when you're dealing with autoimmune what you eat matters absolutely and and the same is true like when we come back to the whole financial side of things you know i think about there's a lot of a, there's an abundance of tools and capabilities mm -hmm. now pfm personal financial management mm -hmm. it's kind of like almost like tracking macros if you will <laughs> But when right. you have that that additional accountability and you have someone walking that journey with you, mm -hmm. what what's a what's a misconception that financial brand leaders might have around financial counseling or financial coaching that holds them back from bringing something like this into their organization and making it a key part of their go to market strategy? Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I've been around credit unions for, I think, 18 years now, and I um, have come in through the financial empowerment arm, and I've seen it grow from a little department in a corner, only at large credit unions, mm -hmm. to everybody having it, and the big ones really doing it, you know, so well with all the measurements, and it has grown so much in 18 years, for sure. So uh, I applaud everyone for being here and really getting into it and caring. What I would like to the challenge to be is that it would have the same kind of leadership as other important areas, like as lending. Yeah. That put, some, put a chief in charge of financial empowerment and integrate it into lending and into collections and into onboarding members and employees and, and really have it be the, the thread of the fabric, not Oh, and there's financial education over there. Again, I think we're doing better uh, than we have. Absolutely. But could we do even better? Yes. How do we do that? Put it higher on the totem pole and the level of responsibility. Uh, give it a strategic initiative. Get everybody involved. Challenge people of how they can weave financial empowerment into the department they lead. Yes. Make it everywhere. Members can't turn around without running into financial empowerment. And I like the idea and, and the narrative that, okay, we started off, it was kind of like this little department over here off in the corner, but it's grown in awareness. And now the next step is integration into all areas. All fa It's almost like if we're looking at this, you know, we've been integrating technology into all areas of mm -hmm. the organization. This is almost integrating the human experience and mm -hmm. the money experience, the financial experience into all areas of the organization, not just the education, but empowerment, well-being. What are the opportunities to make that a reality? Like what can someone who is listening do very practically right now thinking about just where they're at and obviously everyone's going to be in a different situation but when you look at it at the macro level common patterns that have been very successful to continue to bring more strategic awareness within organizations for this yes i've worked at two wonderful credit unions and in both places i've had the responsibility for financial education and they are different sizes so i think sometimes the mistake is that credit unions of a small to mid-size, um, they get to hear about what all the big ones are doing because that's who makes the news and they say, I can't do that, I don't have that resource, I don't have the headcount. And so I think that you just have to start with where you're at. Mm 
right? And so it, it, you just figure out where you're at. Are you SEG-based? Are you community-based? What's the best place to start? Employees, are you going out to a SEG? Pick one SEG, pick two. Develop a small program. We know as innovators, right, James, innovation's best beta tested small yes. and then grow it. And I think we, we make the mistake of saying, we have to have the best program out of the gate. We need workshops and webinars and counseling. And okay, no, you don't. Nope, nope. You need to start small, do it well, and figure out what your community needs and grow in that way, right? Get a good community partner who's who's already out there, partner with them, and, and you can go that way. I think listening to your community is so important um, to give what they need. You know, certainly retirement is on, on everyone's minds now. We hear it's been delayed because of the pandemic, and you know, certainly there's a lot of digital products around retirement. And something I just wanna mention, a way to reach out to your community is through that conversation. We know people are woefully unprepared for yes. retirement woefully google that yes. <laughs> uh, scare yourself straight um, and we know credit unions often have some department either in-house or third party that they have benefit to to get people through and, and planning that way and it helps the member and it helps them but it's such a boring topic and we have so much shame because we're way behind and so we'd rather stick our head in the sand mm. so i just want to mention that together with the cornerstone foundation um, balance and the cornerstone foundation has just released a new program called the retirement experience and it's very much about taking the shame out of money and we use scenarios of other people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s and 60s what's their situation like spoiler alert their situation is research and it's very much like yours <laughs> so uh, they, they feel comfortable in a group because they're talking about someone else not themselves right. but ooh, inside they know that someone is kind of just like them uh, right and so then they get this whole experience where they're talking in a cohorts about this and then they get set up with this beautiful workshop uh, workbook that takes them through things on their own in private at home yeah. and then to go back to their credit union and get that money uh, going into retirement because the numbers are really scary there and there are so many digital programs but we're not moving the needle mm. we need to talk to people about their plan. Like, I really think this is a place where there's low hanging fruit for member engagement at credit unions because yes. people are confused about what to do. They don't know if they're on track. If they're on or off, they wouldn't know how to get back on. They, they really need help that they can trust. And this, this sector isn't trustworthy to most people. Right. That investment and their credit union can be that go-between that, hey, no, we got you, let us help you here. So that's another place I think is a, a good opportunity to get, get in that conversation. One thought as you're going through thinking about retirement and the retirement experience, um, something that I don't think many people are even aware of, thinking about, considering, but I'm so happy that Peter Diamond just touched on this at his CUNA GSC keynote, and, that's, and, and I've talked with Steve Swanson about this on the podcast. It's, it's the idea and the subject of longevity, the potential for us to live longer than we expected. Um, you know, when, when we look at what's going on in the AI space and healthcare, uh, and that's one of the things I really try to do is I try to take a broad view of pattern matching and then bring it back into financial services. 
it is longevity. Uh, and in my mind, I'm already, you know, telling myself I'm going to live to be 158 years old. And I really want to, like, I really have, I think it would be a fantastic experience as long as I am healthy, capable, you know, able to create value for other people. Um, it would be an amazing experience to have that type of an opportunity, but it's going to completely transform what we think about, you know, quote unquote retirement. I'm even thinking about like, you know, my, my grandmother, she's 95 years old and still somewhat independently living on her own. What, I mean, that's, it's, it really is. And then it, changes that whole narrative of what does planning look like what does and it really connects health and wealth even more than anything right because if you don't have your health it will take your wealth and the more wealth you have the more opportunities for health you have like they're inextricable they're absolutely together yeah and 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 then it's like well working and and what does work life look like and are we going to work longer you know are we going to really retire at 60 65 and i think for me and this this is where we're getting to really kind of like philosophical discussion but i used to say well knowledge workers you know as long as their brain is healthy they can continue to contribute and create value as long as that is, is true, but then now you introduce this whole AI narrative. <laughs> um, and then it's like, okay, well, we might have to like retransform how we think about the value that we create and the work that we do. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a very interesting time right now of, of rapid transformation. Personal question for you as we start to wrap up here, since, you know, we're talking about transformation and adaptability. Um, transforming behaviors is a key essence key part of of this idea of coaching counseling 18 years doing this how do you ensure that you continuously transform because you're not the same person i knew a few years ago you're continuously transforming yourself (laughs) how do you do this Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, I've always just thought I've had this learner's heart. I'm always learning. Like I, you know, took a yoga certification, a human resource. A, if I'm not learning, I feel like I'm dying. It's mm. just part of my personality. It's always been there. It's why I have two master's degrees, two bachelor. I just love to learn. I'm also incredibly fearful, vulnerable moment of losing my mind. You talk about aging. Losing my mind, losing my mobility. I'm not interested in either of those. And so continual learning is that neuroplasticity of the brain. I'm going to keep driving those new neural pathways. I'm not going to lose my mind. (laughs) That's kind of like what I'm doing over here. And so I just have that spirit. And honestly, it's part of adapting because being in my mid-50s, I'm not young and hip. I have to keep up with things. I have to read. I have to you know, talk to people that are out of my age range to understand what the hell is going on in this (laughs) world. Um, And so I can stay relevant um, because I love to innovate. But if my mind isn't relevant because I'm already a dinosaur, I'm not going to be able to innovate. So all of that works together of why I'm, you know, listening to 13 podcasts, have three books going on. I'm writing my own book. I'm like, I'm just going because my mind doesn't stop. And I hope to God it never does, James. Yes. No. And I hope so for you as well, because you have a lot of, of great thinking to share with others, a lot of 
perspective and, and expertise. And, and on that note, what, what would you recommend for the dear listener to do next when it comes mm-hmm. to not just thinking about financial education, but really bringing financial counseling, financial therapy, financial coaching into their organization? Because all future growth starts with a small, simple commitment today. Mm-hmm. What would be that one thing that you would recommend next? Mm-hmm. I think that it would be to define the best place to start. I mean, I know that it seems like, yeah, no doubt, but because you don't have unlimited resources, you just have to pick the place to start. So strategically, what's gonna have the biggest bang for your buck, that's feasible. And then the next thing would be to collaborate with somebody who does it well, because you don't have to recreate the wheel. (laughs) You don't have to do it alone. I promise it's been done because there's a lot of great credit unions doing amazing things. So I think you find someone, once you've defined what it is you wanna do, find someone who's doing doing it so well that you wanna emulate them and then call them, talk to them, reach out to them because I always go back to this African proverb and it, I've never seen it attributed to anyone. It just says African proverb, but it says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. And so I think that's how you build a quality program together, getting the right partners, the right input, the right mentors so that it builds correctly because we do have limited resources and um, that sort of thing. And getting a champion from the highest part of your credit union that you can will also help. Well, I'm hoping to build more champions like that through the work, the writing that I'm doing with Banking on Digital Growth, soon to be Banking on Change, obviously this podcast. And I like that perspective. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's where collaboration comes back into play. And when we're talking about going far as we're wrapping up and going together, how can someone connect with you to continue the conversation that we've started here today? What's the best way for them to reach out and say hello? C. Campbell at balancepro.org. Also on LinkedIn, you can find me, Cynthia Campbell, attached to balance as well there. Um, I'd love to talk. I'm a nerd about this stuff. I'd love to geek out uh, more about improv, about financial counseling, or if you're into gardening and food forests, that's another uh, topic I love to discuss. Oh, well, uh, you, just op- you just opened up a whole <laughs> other can of worms with food forests. Um, yeah, oh. that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a side 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 conversation right there for sure. That's another podcast for another day, food insecurity and, and all of that. So. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's tied definitely tied to the growth theme for sure. So Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today. Yes, it has. Thank you so much, James. I'll talk to you soon. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, Visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.